Hi listeners, and welcome to the True Crime Weekly Podcast, a podcast that is based in San Diego and hosted by me, Alina Trujillo, and my producer, Jose Fernandez. This is a podcast where I will be bringing you stories of murders, infamous cases, and unsolved mysteries. And in this week's episode, I want to help bring awareness and keep people talking about a case that took place on New Year's Eve of 2007 in Missoula, Montana. I want to tell you about the hit and run accident of Bronson Parsons and about the woman that has been wrongfully accused of his death. This is the story of Bronson Parsons and Katie Gardy. Bronson was known to be a hunter, a hiker, a skydiver, a carpenter, and a snowboarder. And in fact, I read in an article that Bronson had spent his last day snowboarding on New Year's Eve of 2007. After the lifts closed, Bronson called his mother to tell her about his day of snowboarding. That day, Bronson would go back home, get dressed for a potluck that he had with his friends, which was about half a block away from his home. Bronson would stay at his friend's house for several hours until Bronson and his other friend, Daniel Berry, would decide to leave that front house and head over to the Reno Casino. Bronson had celebrated New Year's Eve at his friend's house when he and Daniel Berry decided to extend their evening at about 1.30 a.m. by walking to Reno's casino near the friend's house. And I read in an article that Daniel had said that when they were walking to the casino, him and Bronson were joking and how Bronson was looking right at him and he was looking over at him and laughing when all of a sudden Daniel would feel a gush of wind and all of a sudden his friend Bronson was gone. What do you mean gone? Well, Daniel witnessed Bronson get carried away on the grill of a large dark SUV before Bronson slid off on the side and landed in the middle of the traffic lane. Then Daniel witnessed this dark SUV speed away. Oh no, he got run over. I don't know how to say this, but it's involving your son. I, I, he was within two inches of me. The car hit me. I was That night, there was another person that would witness the accident. She claimed that she was leaving the casino, the same casino that Bronson and Daniel were heading to that night. And she was there doing her good friend duties, picking up a friend that was too intoxicated to drive. As she was leaving the casino, she witnesses two men walking on the opposite side of the road. She looks at the two men to try and see if she recognized them. She figured, hey, you know, I'm already here. I'm willing to give them a ride if they need one, you know, assuming that she would she knew them. But she wouldn't recognize either of the men. She would continue to drive when all of a sudden she would hear a loud pop. 
And she thought, wow, what did those two men just hit? But when she looked in her rear rear mirror, she witnessed a dark SUV speed away and a man laying on the street. Now, this witness, she was trained in CPR. So she would pull over, she would call 911, and she would help the man that was laying on the floor. This witness would pull off the seat covers from her car along with a sweater, and she would put it over Bronson. And she would hold his hand while paramedics arrived to the scene. Now, Katie didn't become a suspect right away. In fact, Katie had been stopped the day of the accident because the police had put out a description of her car that had been seen speeding away from the scene. And because Katie's car matched that description, she got stopped. However, the officer that stopped the car said that Katie's car only had a cracked windshield and the officer thought that the car involved in Bronson's accident would have sustained extensive front end damage, which Katie's car did not have. So Katie wouldn't be a suspect until November of 2008. After authorities received a tip from a man who said he repaired a light on her vehicle with duct tape. Within days after the crash, Katie had also put her car up for, for sale shortly after. Detectives would follow this lead and would track down Katie's old car. While locating this car, which was still in the same condition as it was the night of the accident, police would also get a tip from Katie's ex-boyfriend, James Bordeaux. He claimed that he was in the car the night of the accident. And James was stayed in court and to the detectives that on that night, they were leaving a bar and they had been drinking all day. And it had, they had been going from bar to bar. And on that night, they were leaving a bar named Brent when James and another guy named Paul McFarlane would leave the bar at 1.30. James stated that Katie, Paul, and himself had left the bar in search for cocaine. When all of a sudden, James stated that Paul pulled out a gun to show it to Katie and James. And James said that this made him really mad. I mean, he freaked out, which I think anybody would. And that he would argue with Paul and Paul was sitting in the back seat and James was in the passenger seat of the car. And he was turned around yelling at Paul to put the gun away. And he stated that he was trying to reach to the back seat of the car to slap the gun away from Paul. When all of a sudden they hit something. And when James turns his body back around, he sees the body of Bronson flying off the hood of the car and that's when he stated that Katie said I hit someone and continued to drive off and this is where there's a lot of speculation as to what really happened that night and who's telling the truth so get this the third guy Paul 
Well, Katie and James had met Paul at a bar prior to going to Ren's bar. And I guess Katie stated that Paul was looking for people to party with. So they just invited him along. And this is where Paul would have a different story than what James testified in court. Paul said that Katie and James ended up spending the night at his house and he would drive them back the following day, so the morning after, so that Katie can pick up her car. So according to Paul, they never hit anything. It was, we were all hanging out, it was the last call, closed down the bar, went back to my place, they spent the night, drove them back the next morning, done deal. Wait, so you're telling me that they didn't even take Katie's car? It was Paul's car? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Paul said that she didn't even drive to his house. So according to Katie and Paul, because Paul didn't disagree with Katie's time of events as to what happened. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Katie's story has been that her and James had been drinking all day. And I think I read that they they started drinking like around 11, 11 a.m. on that day. Mm-hmm. And that they had also been smoking some weed throughout the day. So according to Katie, they were pretty much bar hopping. And when they ended up going to Red's bar, she had pulled up on the curb. And that's when a patrol officer came up to the car and asked Katie if she had been drinking. And Katie replied, no, oh no, I'm fine, you know, and at that point, like, she was just trying to, you know, not get in trouble, pretty much. And that's when the officer would tell Katie that she couldn't drive her car for the rest of the night and that if he saw her getting into the car, that he would give her a, a DUI. So she would listen to the police officer and she locked up her car and her and James went into Red's bar and they continued to party until the bar closed down. Katie was said that after the bar closed that she was going to get back in her car and drive, but that she didn't because James had warrants for his arrest. Oh, so he didn't want to risk it. Right. So he had refused to get back in the car with her. And since he didn't want to obviously run the risk of getting caught. So Paul suggested to Kitty and James, hey, why don't you guys go back to my house and you guys can spend the night at my place. So according to Kitty and Paul, um, they took Paul up on his offer. They would get into Paul's car and drive to his place. So according to Katie, they took Paul up on his offer and they got into into Paul's car and they headed back to his place to spend the night. And then the next morning is when Paul would drive James and Katie back to Rand's bar where Katie's car was parked. And then Katie and James would get in Katie's car and they would go to breakfast at a McDonald's. When a police officer would pull Katie over, because her car happened to match the description of a hit and run that happened the night prior. 
He didn't think that her car had sustained the amount of damage that it would have by hitting a person. So they didn't take her in at that point, pretty much. Katie was just let go because they just noticed there was a small crack in her window and they figured, hey, if this car would have hit, there'd probably be a lot more damage. Exactly. There was no dent. There was no nothing on the car. So Katie wouldn't get convicted of the hit and run for almost a year. A year? Yeah. So almost a year later, the state would offer Kate and get this. Okay. So almost a year has gone by and then the state gets a tip from pretty much a jet house snitch and that goes back to Katie seems so odd like what were there even be a connection well okay we'll get there but hold on (laughs) so get this so now it's almost a year has passed okay katie is getting convicted for this the state goes as far and offers katie a plea deal and they say that if she takes the plea deal to the charges of the hit and run she would only have a five-year suspension But Katie didn't take the plea deal because she said that she didn't do it. Because according to her, like, she's, like, right, I had nothing to do with this. So why would I plead guilty to something I didn't do? Katie, I'm sure, didn't even think that this would even go as far as to a jury. She didn't think it would go to court at all. However, it would. Her case is just so crazy because... You look at the pictures from her car and there isn't any damage. Like there's that small crack in the window. There's, um, I believe it was like the fog light that's hanging off a little bit. Not even that much, but there's no damage on the hood on the car and nothing. And remember, according to James, he witnessed when he was turning around that the there was a body of a man that was sliding off the hoods, meaning that a body had to have hit the hood of Kitty's car, which means there would have been a dent. Yeah, there, there would have to be damage for that. Right. Significant and, damage. Right, and there's nothing. And we'll post pictures up on our website so that our listeners can see. But there's nothing from the point of impact. So from the point where Bronson got carried away, supposedly he got carried away about 90 feet. 90 feet. 90 feet, which, I mean, I mean, think about it. It sent him 90 feet. Then it was also estimated that the car must have been going around 60 miles an hour. And there's no damage to the car? There's no way. That, that makes no sense. I mean, right, how? And remember, she got pulled over by this police officer the day after the hit and run. Yeah. And the officer didn't see any damage. I mean, why would he let her go? Because he he stopped he specifically stopped Katie because her car matched the description of that hit and run from that night prior. Right. And once they looked at her car, it's like this can't be the car that's involved. There's no damage to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean there have to be, and that's that's like the perfect opportunity for them to say. Yes, there's damage here. Let's, you know, you're looking suspicious, but right. But now, passed. but now, all of a sudden, it wouldn't be enough to prove Katie's innocence. Oh. 
A year later. Right. By Katie not accepting the plea deal, Katie ended up going to court and got sentenced to 40 years in prison. You're kidding. 40 years in prison. She got the max. 40 years in prison for the hit and run accident. With what evidence? There wasn't any. <laughs> there is a, that. That's the whole thing. There was no evidence against her. So there was there, one guy. Which is a jailhouse snitch. So it was reported that the, now it's her, you know, almost a year later, she broke up with James. So now her ex-boyfriend is the only one that's saying, hey, I was in the car. She's the one responsible for hitting Bronson. But in reality, guess what? What? James was only talking to cops because he was trying to cut himself a deal with the state for another charge that he had against him. Are you kidding? How would the police it, take that as valid? Right. And even, even him and James, when they were questioning him as far as the times and, you know, how everything occurred at some point. James even stated, you know, hey, we had been drinking all night and we had smoked weed. So I'm not even sure of the timeline. But yet, you know, the cops still said, hey, this is enough. Let's convict this woman of this hit and run. That's horrible. Right. Horrible. It's, it, yeah. It's, I mean, I don't, I don't understand how, you know, our... Our law system, our court system can convict them, but it was such little evidence. Something that was big during her trial also was that Katie's lawyer didn't, for some reason, she didn't do a reconstruction of the accident. Mm -hmm. I believe I saw in the documentary, it was called Final Appeal. It was an oxygen. I think she they had interviewed her lawyer and she had said that at that time she that was a big mistake for her because she was so focused on just discrediting James and trying to make the jury and everybody seem like hey how are you going to take this guy's word yeah you know he's clearly just trying to get himself his own deal for something completely different but they didn't see it that way and she got convicted. Um, also, it was also said that it took almost a year for Katie to get convicted because originally they had suspected another woman of the hit and run. Because there was apparently a 911 call that was made around the time that Bronson got hit. Mm -hmm. by another woman that said that she put herself at the scene saying that her um i believe it was her boyfriend had had been stabbed or shot i don't quite remember but she was on her way to the hospital she was calling 911 911 operators were trying to get her location she doesn't know where she's at because I guess she's just so frantic that her boyfriend that happens to be in the back seat bleeding tells her, hey, you are on this highway. You're heading towards this direction. So she gives that description to the 911 call operator. And that's where she puts herself 
It's around the same time she puts herself at the scene. But then later they discover, oh no, that couldn't have been the person that hit Bronson because through cell phone records and cell phone, cell phone towers, they determined that from where she was at to where the cell phone tower was pinged, it she wasn't in that location that she had stated. And she did, they interviewed her and she said that, yeah, I mean, she was frantic. She didn't know where she was. Her boyfriend was the one telling her where she was going, her location. And I guess the boyfriend didn't want to get help. He didn't want to get, um, he didn't want to go to the hospital. So he was giving her the wrong directions, quote unquote. And that's, that's how like they ended up discrediting her and saying, no, it wasn't her. And now because they have this essentially jailhouse snitched is when they realize, oh, okay, so now we have confirmation it is Katie. But there was really no physical evidence. There was nothing pointing directly to Katie. So for that, the other woman that you just described, mm -hmm. were they able to ever check her car? Or was that so far after that? No, I think that I, you know, that's a good question. I don't know if I if I was able to find that in my research. Mm -hmm. I think that it was mostly they just found out, hey, she wasn't even anywhere near the location of where she said that she was. Yeah. So and that, know. yeah, that's where it's like, okay, dead end. This isn't it. So... The Montana Innocence Project has taken Katie's case and is working on appealing her conviction. And that's where Katie's case stands now. And Bronson's last wish was that his organs be donated. So his death saved several lives, which brought a measure of solace to what otherwise seemed to be a unacceptable loss so as mentioned before at the end of every episode we'll be bringing you an open unsolved case from crime stoppers this week san diego county crime stoppers continues to work with investigators from the national city police department homicide unit and are asking for the public's help in identifying and locating the suspects who murdered 16 year old romel velarde 13 years ago on January 19, 2007, at about 6.30 p.m., Romel Velarde was shot and killed in front of his home in the 2300 block of, of the East Division Street in National City. Two identified males were seen running from the area. Brown-colored van, or SUV, was seen driving away immediately after the shooting. Anyone with information about this murder is asked to call the National City Police Department Homicide Unit at 619-336-4472 or contact Crime Stoppers Anonymous Tip Line at 888-580-8477. And remember that only you can make a difference. If you want to look at pictures and want more information on the cases we cover, you can head over to truecrimeweeklypodcast.com. You can also follow us on Instagram on Podcast True Crime Weekly. 
And I would truly love it and appreciate it if you would leave a five-star review and subscribe onto Apple Podcast. The only way that people find out about us is through subscribers and reviews. Thanks for listening.